Welcome, everyone, and uh, thanks for the opportunity to share with you again. It's always good to be back. This time I am blessed to have Lori with me. So, Lori, say hi. Great. Uh, usually I'm alone, solo on these, so that's a real, real blessing. But uh, it's just always good to get back and update you a little bit, share a little bit of what God is doing in higher education. And uh, what I want to do today is, is, is do that, but I want to do that through discussing and walking through a passage through Psalm 24 that not only informs how we do what we do, but uh, I think ought to inform how you do what you do. So there's a lot of common commands, promises, hope. That's throughout Psalm 24. But, uh, but let me just uh, say a little bit about the work to frame this so that, especially if you're new, you've got some context. Uh, as uh, Kevin mentioned, you've been a part of this ministry for many years, coming up on 40 years now. So thank you for that. Uh, <clears throat> what we, uh, we do is, as your mission statement says, equipping and empowering uh, people, we do that just in the university context. So our mission is to equip Christian scholars to have a redemptive influence among their students, colleagues, universities, and disciplines. So that's our focus. And, and, and the reason we do that is we start with the fact of the fall, that the world is broken. Uh, you see that everywhere you look, whether it's a, this country or that country or this area in a country or that area. You know, law is broken. Uh, Business is broken. Media and the arts are broken. Education is broken. And God wants us, collectively, his people, his church, to be about the work of seeing all things redeemed, all things put back right. Uh, This is actually where Jesus starts the prayer he gives us, right? The Lord's Prayer. That thy kingdom would come and thy will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what is a kingdom? It's simply the extent of a king's rule. So God's kingdom is simply the extent of his rule on earth. And he wants that to be everywhere. That his will would be done in every sphere, in every place. And we have spent as a people, the church... Uh, much energy uh, doing so in the broader cultural context, but we have tended not to emphasize as much the folks who are in more uh, positions of leadership in our culture, and especially in higher education. Uh, The fact is, though, that that tends to be where the influence flows from, because professors influence students who then become leaders in every sector, business, engineering, medicine, law, entertainment, what have you. And then they have an influence everywhere else. So our hope is that those who God has called to those places would have a redemptive influence, would bring the gospel to bear in the lives of their students so that they could go out from those places in every nation, including ours, and have an influence for Christ in every other sphere. There's good news and bad news here. Uh, I'll start with the bad news. Bad news is about 95% of the professorate worldwide uh, are not, not Christ followers. 
And so unfortunately, they're, they're teaching ideas that are not true often. Well, we want to change this. We envision the day where every university student in the world knows at least one professor who is a believer. And as somebody who can give hope, provide direction, and teach truth. And the good news is there's 5% of the global professorate who, who, who are following Christ. And so we have 16 proven programs that we've developed that we use to equip them to fulfill that calling in their universities, in their nations for God's glory. And I'll talk about some of those as I share, uh, but, uh, but I want to get into the text a little bit, and I want to frame this in Psalm 24. So if you have your Bible, pull that up or flip to that if you're old school. Uh, <laughs> I pull it up these days. Uh, and let's look at it together. Uh, and, and we find in it uh, a challenge and a promise, and that's why I want to look at this text. And it's the challenge and the promise that we share with Christian professors in our work. Uh, because ultimately that gives them hope, and it should give you hope. It gives them hope to press on in the work of seeing God's kingdom come and God's will be done in universities. And it should give you hope to see God's will be done and kingdom come in blank your family, your neighborhood, your business. <clears throat> I'm going to make two distinctions, and I'm going to get into the passage. So uh, we in Global Scholars think about this in two ways, and they're, they're very important. One is a geographic or quantitative sense of seeing God's kingdom come, and that is to every corner of the earth. Jamaica and Jordan, um, Uzbekistan and Uganda, uh, Armenia and America. Every corner of the earth, we think God wants to see his kingdom extend to that place. And in those places, every sector, right? Financial industry, media, the arts, legal profession, medical fields, business, and education, of course. So that's why we do what we do. And we're seeing some amazing things happen. We have grown exponentially uh, in this process of, uh, of, of seeking to equip Christian professors. I was here probably a couple years ago, and we were probably equipping two or three. Right now, we're over 700. Um, and, uh, and, and part of it is simply that God has continued to raise up men and women who are already in professorates around the world and has put us in touch with them. And they simply said, how can we be equipped to be God's light and truth in this place? So that's where we're focusing a lot of our time and energy. And again, doing it in the context of really what Psalm 24 teaches. So let me get to that and, uh, and start with an observation of where the psalm starts. I'll read the first verse. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The observation is it's, it's saying a, a thing that we would say, yeah, I get that, but it's a profound truth that we probably don't really get, and I know a lot of Christian professors don't really get, and that truth is that everything is the Lord's. It reminds us that there is no sacred, secular di divide. There's nothing in the world that is secular. 
It is all sacred. It is all the Lord's. As Abraham Kuyper, the famous Dutch statesman and founder of the Free University of Amsterdam said, there, there's not one inch of creation that Jesus Christ does not call out, this is mine, this belongs to me. Right? So no matter where we are, where we live, where we work, where our neighborhood is, everywhere is part of God's reign. It's part of his creation. It's part of what he ultimately is embedded in and invested in and sovereign over. And so everything we do in that sphere, in our family, in our work, in our country, is part of seeing his kingdom come there. It's part of seeing his will be done. There is no secular work. There is no mundane work, right? Uh, the word mundane comes from a Latin word mundi, which means worldly. And so back when this sacred-secular divide was really prevalent, it's still prevalent, but back in the day, uh, there was this understanding that Sunday's where God shows up, the holy day, and then there's Monday where we're back to the grind, back to the nine, nine to five, where God doesn't show up. It's the mundane work, the Monday. And this first verse in Psalm 24, is, there, there, there's no Monday, actually. <laughs> there's mundane, no mundane work. It's all work for God's glory to see his kingdom extended and to see uh, us live out the truth of Psalm 24, 1, that everything belongs to the Lord. So think about the most mundane thing, quote-unquote, you do in a, in a week. It might be, I don't know, balance a spreadsheet, prepare a brief, wire a house, change a diaper, right? The most mundane thing that's, yeah, I just kind of do this. This is my job. Yeah, not really, not so much. It's actually what God's called you to do, and by doing it as unto him, as a way that promotes what's good, true, and beautiful, excellent craftsmanship, true numbers if you're balancing a spreadsheet, whatever it is, it's bringing his kingdom to bear in that place, in that way. Now, only if it's done the right way, foreshadowing, we'll get to that. But that's the point. And this is a real challenge for Christian professors because there's this real sense that many of them have that, um, yeah, this place I am is really a secular place, and gosh, I've just got to keep my head down, keep my job, and go do stuff in my church. Uh, one of the places we really see this is in China. I was just talking to Sam, that's his American name. He's a Chinese national who is one of our four regional representatives. And I'm going to step back now and give you some context. This is very important and part of the update I want to bring you. Uh, we've been through a major shift. I came, I came into this role in 2014 and really last, well, eight or nine, ten years. Uh, we had been a sending agency. We sent U.S. professors who were believers to universities around the world, public universities around the world, to have a ministry. Well, things have been changing. There are less and less positions available for Westerners around the world. Countries are more and more closed. China, we used to be able to place a lot of people there. Can't do that anymore. Uh, and the positions that are available are easily found online. 
And so the role we played sort of as a middleman, we kind of broker these, these contracts, we, it, that just dried up. But at the same time, we were noticing more and more professors were finding us online who were indigenous scholars. So they were already teaching in their own countries. And they were believers saying to us, hey, can I be part of this community of global scholars? Can you, can you help me connect with other <clears throat> Christian scholars around the world and be equipped for ministry? You know, Ephesians 4.12. Help me be equipped for the work of ministry in this place. <clears throat> so we flipped the switch, made the pivot, Sept, uh, not September, uh, March of 2019. Stopped sending, started equipping. And the first thing we did was set up a global professional society called the Society of Christian Scholars where professors connect through a secure portal and connect with others in their city, state, nation, region, academic discipline, what have you, uh, as well as get access to training, whether it's webinars or curricula we put out in different areas to mentors that could help them as Christian professors be more effective in their ministry. And so that's up and running and growing. We have about three a week join that from around the world. Fantastic. It's been, been really fun to see that. But the second prong that is now the leading edge in terms of where we're putting a lot of energy as the society is up and running is more the incarnational, I'd call it, more the boots on the ground side of things. We are hiring what we call regional representatives to give leadership in a different part of different parts of the world, where they'll show up on campus and meet face to face with these Christian professors, bring them together into community, provide training directly in that context. And Sam is our fourth. We our first was in Sub-Saharan Africa, Anglophone Africa, uh, Osam. Our second was in South America, or still is, but second we brought on Omar. He's um, uh, doing amazing work there. Our third is Peter. He's in uh, Prague, Czech Republic. And we just brought on Sam in, in China about a year ago. And, uh, and, and all these regional representatives have to meet beyond spiritual depth and vision for ministry in the university context. They have to meet four criteria. And these are mission critical. And it really illustrates our missiology and what's driving all of this. One, they're nationals of that part of the world which will give them access and cultural understanding and connectivity that, that, that nobody who goes into that country from another country would ever, ever have. They were born and raised there. Secondly, they have their, ac their academic pedigree from that part of the world. They earn their PhDs there. So Sam's a Chinese national, earned his PhD at a top university there in China. Third, they, they have taught in that part of the world. So they understand what it is to be a Christian professor there and can therefore speak to their, the people they're ministering to out of deeds done. Hey, I've been there. I've done that. I understand the challenges, the pressure. I'm not coming in from somewhere else saying, hey, do this, and got really no idea what it looks like to do that. No, they've been there, done that. So Sam had taught at one of the top universities in Beijing. And then four, they still live in that part of the world. Uh, there's a lot of great folks who, who have to, for one reason or another, leave and no, no, they're still embedded in that context so they can respond rapidly to the changing environments and issues. So Sam, for instance, in China is doing this. But what he was just sharing with me, and it's heartbreaking, but unfortunately it's true in other parts of the world as well, 
is uh, that so many Christian professors see their work as a challenge uh, and, and really something that they can't bring their faith into because their churches have told them that there's a sacred secular, secular divide. Their churches have told them, and most of them are part of the underground church in China, which is thriving, but, but, but by and large says, yeah, the university is a secular place, it's bad, it's evil, stay away from it. Uh, if you're a professor, either get out or keep your head down and do all your ministry here in, in our church because God really isn't, isn't in that place. It's evil. Well, that's contrary to the Lord's prayer, his kingdom come everywhere, to the first verse of Psalm 24, that everything is the Lord's. And so part of our work and Sam's work in China in that context is say, say, no, 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 no. God wants you to be there. God's called you to that place. God wants, just, wants to, you to have a redemptive influence in that place. Just like he's saying to you and wherever your place is. So fill that blank in. It's the same message. So for instance, Sam, uh, believing this to be true, that God wants his kingdom to come in the universities in China, just gathered together 30 professors from Beijing universities for a weekend retreat in a hotel in the city and spent all weekend training them in how to be a Christian professor, how to make a difference for Christ in that place, in that context, in terms of evangelism, discipleship, bringing their faith into what they research and teach in ways that don't get them fired or in jail. I mean, all the things he knows that I, I, I don't know. In fact, I said to him, I said, Sam, are you going to keep yourself out of jail? <laughs> it seems a little risky to me to have a weekend conference in Beijing and that many together. He said, oh, no, we had less than 50 people there. I'm like, yeah, still. He said, oh, no, there's no problem at all with that. See, in Beijing, he said, it's different in different provinces. But in Beijing, they know we're meeting, and they know what we're doing. But anything under 50 is not a worry to them. The authorities don't care. So I know I need to stay under 50, and I'm good to go. There's no way I'd figure that out. I'd be kicked out of the country long before I figured the, the magic number in Beijing. But he's a national. He lives there. He's been in the system. He understands this. That's our missiology, is to find the people in those parts of the world who can give leadership there. He actually just did a follow-up by Zoom for folks who couldn't attend that but wanted to get this training. He had 100 show up on this Zoom. He said, hey, that's, that's good too because, yeah, I don't know, but great. Go for it. Uh, and it was so great. Part of, again, our missiology is everywhere to everywhere idea that it's not just us Westerners going and delivering the goods, but it's God's people who are all over the world empowering and equipping and encouraging and sharpening one another, the iron sharpening iron everywhere. And so Sam had Osam, who is our Anglophone African regional representative, lives, lives in Nigeria. Well, not actually right now. I'll say something about that in a minute, but it's from Nigeria. Had him zoom in and, and lead this to give them vision of what God's doing in Africa to say God can do this in China too. And it was just electric. So that's important uh, in terms of, of the, the, the context of the Christian scholar seeing what it means to actually be faithful to that call to that place, not say, oh, that's secular, that's bad, I need to not be involved there, or I just get my paycheck from there and I do my work here. And the same for you, right? It's tempting, I, I know, in our country, in our culture, 
to think my nine to five is what pays the bills. Maybe I can support a missionary or two, but you know what? The real pay dirt is what I'm doing in my small group Bible study or, you know, all the things that are good, but there's not that distinction. It's all part of God's kingdom. Psalms 1, uh, 24-1. It's all God's territory. It's all places we can engage for the kingdom to see what's true and good and beautiful promoted in those places and ultimately see the gospel come. But that's overwhelming sometimes, right? I mean, in theory, that sounds really good, but boy, that's hard to do in practice. And the next verse, I think, gives us hope. I know it gives Christian professors hope when there's despair, there's a temptation to hang it up, throw in the towel. Psalm 24, 2 reads, For he has founded it, the earth, on the seas, and he has established it on the waters. See, it's a reminder that God's sovereign in all this. He's the one who's, who's setting this all up. That he ultimately, more than we do, desire to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In all these spheres. So we can have hope that our efforts are not in vain. Because he ultimately is the one who wants to see it happen. And we've got to remind Christian professors this all the time. Uh, there's a lot of persecution, a lot of hardships, a lot of setbacks. Uh, for instance, I just mentioned Osam, our regional representative from Anglophone Africa. But uh, he, he's now at a point where he's got a leadership team in Africa who are together doing amazing things. So he decided, I'm going to leave them in charge. This is a group of other professors he's raised up as leadership. And he moves his family to the Middle East because we've got to have somebody there. So be a Middle Eastern national who is a Christ follower, is an academic, has taught in that part of the world, still lives there, who, who shares this vision and will give leadership to developing faculty ministry throughout the Middle East. Well, it's really hard. I mean, most Christians from the Middle East in higher education uh, have either, either left, so now they're teaching in South America or, or the U.S. or Southeast Asia or somewhere, or they're still there, but they're, they're, they're pretty silent, keeping their heads down. So we pray that, hey, may Psalm 24 be true. You know, may, may, may it be remembered that you know, God has established this place. God is more interested in the Middle East than we are. God has his people here already. We just have to be faithful to find them. So that's how we pray with Hosam. And the good news is he's been there about 10 months, and he's identified seven Christian scholars who are missional, who are in the Middle East. Three of them from where he's moved to, UAE, United Arab Emirates. He's in Dubai. Three of them from Oman. In fact, one of them was so motivated when he connected with Osam, he drove four hours up you know, from Oman up to UAE to meet with Osam just for a day of training. Say, I've been silent for way too long as a Christian in the university. I need to know how to proclaim Christ. Tell me what to do. Spend a day with him just to get trained. And just last, last week, yeah, this last week, uh, got an email from Osam that he has just been contacted by an Iranian scholar. Now, again, this is not an expat in Iran. This is a Christian Iranian scholar who says, I'm sensing God has called me to be more vocal about my faith in this place. 
So thanks be to God. You can pray about that because we need to find the Oh, and there's somebody in Lebanon also uh, who's also a Christian sheikh. I'll just throw that out. Category for me. But uh, he's got some interest in connecting and maybe giving some leadership. So just pray that God finds the right or leads us to the right person to give leadership in the Middle East to this work. That's a lot of what we're doing. But the, the point is that um, no matter where you are, you're not a Christian scholar in the Middle East or in China or in Africa, but you're a blank in Springfield, in Missouri, in the United States. So what does it look like for you, right? What does it look like to actually have that hope that God is more concerned with this place than you are? That God ultimately wants to see it redeemed and his kingdom come there. And that he's calling you to be part of that in ways that make a difference eternally for the kingdom. And the next verses then build on that for you and for these scholars and remind us of, okay, if you're all in on that, which you should be, what kind of people do you need to be to actually see that happen? The next two verses clarify what we need to be before the Lord for him to use us in those ways. Verse 3, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Four, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. See, whereas verse 2 reminded, of God, reminded us of God's transcendence, that he is sovereign or over all, these verses remind us that God is imminent. He's present and wants to work through his people, through me and you. And we do that by being faithful to his call with a clean heart and pure hands, which, of course, is a problem because <laughs> none of us have that. We're fallen, sinful, don't uh, naturally have that type of existence. Of course, the good news is Christ has made that possible through his atonement. And so as we've come to know him and trust him to empower us to do his will, to his, see his kingdom come, we can trust that, that that is actually the result. And so that's our, our encouragement to Christian professors is, as a believer, God has renewed you. He's cleansed your heart. He's purified your hands. You can do this as you let God work through you. But there are idols. You've got to be aware of those idols. What are your idols? And so the idols of a Christian professor are probably different than the idols for you, although they might be the same. And the idols of a professor in Indonesia is di are different than the idols of a professor in Canada. So that's a variable too. But we've identified five areas that Christian professors need to be equipped in to encounter and engage and dismantle whatever those idols are. One of the five is spiritual formation in the academic context. Growth in Christ as a professor, which is different than, than growth in Christ as a fill-in-the-blank. So that means different things in different parts of the world. Here it is in the Western context. Big idols, relativism, that... Professors are challenged to bow before. It might be moral relativism, that moral truths are relative to an individual or a person. Also is often ontological relativism, that reality itself or truth itself is relative to the person or the culture. Well, how do you stand up against that? How do you not bow to that idol as a Christian professor? So that's where our training in the West 
focuses. Or another place it, it, it comes out in the West is the idol of approval, the approval, approval of others. I mean, so much of the academic world is your CV, your curriculum vitae, your list of publications, papers read at conferences, books you've put out. It's a lot of temptation to make that an idol. So a lot of our training is, how do you have the kind of humility Christ calls us to have in this place so that you're a person with a pure heart and clean hands that he can use? How do you respond when you, you get published and your colleague down the hall doesn't? How do you respond when she gets published and you don't? Right? Those are the issues. I just interviewed for uh, one of my, I do two podcasts, and one of them is called College Faith, and I interviewed um, Bob Kaida, who's a physicist uh, at he actually directs the plasma physics lab at Princeton. And so he's got a lot, a lot of accolades and could be, you know, quite boastful. And he's not. He really emphasized that what God spoke to him about all through the years was humility is what allows him to be used of God in these ways. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's the idol that we face here in Western higher education. You probably do too as well. But it plays out different ways in different cultures. So I'll give you a couple more. Africa. Well, the African culture, and I'm, I'm speaking sub-Saharan, although it's probably true North Africa as well, but especially sub-Saharan Africa, uh, given the tribal culture and chieftains who gave leadership in different tribes, uh, there is this idea of what's called the big man philosophy. In other words, if you're the chief, you answer to nobody. And you can do whatever you want, whenever you want it, to whoever you want, because you're the chief. That's what you do. You lead. By fiat, just I'm the, the king. Well, that continues to be part of the culture, and so as professors move into positions of influence in the university, a department chair, dean, vice chancellor, there's this temptation, even for Christian professors, to say, I'm the big man now, you'll do what I say, and I'm not hearing anything else. And, uh, and it's exactly the opposite of servant leadership that Jesus talks about. So, how do we help them in their context learn to be servant leaders and reject that idol of power that's so prevalent in the African context. Uh, I'm going to move on. I'm running out of time here. I could give you more examples. I want to um, touch briefly in the last two passages. So those who do follow God with a clean heart and pure hands have this promise that they will receive blessings from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior, such, such as the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. And we see this time and time again, Christian professors who actually are faithful and serve him to see his kingdom expand in a higher education in this way, God uses it in amazing ways. So I'll just give you one example. I might have shared this last time I was here because I think I'd just been there, but if, if so, forgive me, I'll share it again. A couple years ago, I visited one of the professors who really is a role model to others now at the University of Virginia. His name's Ken. He's an economist. And uh, he, when he started there, he was a believer when he started, but he was, uh, he was very reserved about his faith. He didn't want to say anything to anybody. He just wanted to kind of get some deeds done and get kind of established, maybe get tenure, and five or six years down the road, he might say something. But the university chapter, undergrad chapter, asked him if he would speak to their group. Some Thursday night. He said, sure, I'll do that. I can go over there and speak to your group. So, uh, 
So he's all set to do this. And this was, you know, within a couple weeks of being on campus. And he said he walked out of his first department meeting in the econ department with his department chair right next to him. And there on the bulletin board, the econ bulletin board, was his picture. University Christian Fellowship. Dr. Elsie will share about his faith in Christ. <laughs> so he said, I was outed first, first semester. And he said it was the best thing that could have happened to him because he had to learn how to do excellent work as under the Lord in that context without hiding his faith but, but not being obnoxious about it. And he did, by the way. Fast forward, he's been there 30-some years. He's the most popular professor on campus. Everybody wants to take his classes. They line up for his classes. He teaches at Econ 101 still as a senior professor. Thousand students filled up like that waiting list. Um, he, uh, he's actually the guy when the Supreme Court wants to hear some expert testimony on trust issues, trust cases. He's the guy they bring in. So he's, he's been blessed by the Lord because he's got a clean heart and pure hands. In fact, I was there a couple years ago, and I was walking back to my car, and I had parked right across from the fraternity that I was in. I didn't go to UVA, but it was the same fraternity. So I saw some guys on the porch, and I walked up and introduced myself. And uh, they were very hospitable, pulled up a chair for me. We sat down, we started talking, and they said, what brings you to UVA? I said, well, there's, there's um, some professors I know here I was meeting with. And uh, they said, oh, who? I said, well, you know, there's 4,000 faculty. I know, you know, a lot you don't know, but I, I was meeting with a few, and one was recently Dr. Elzinga. And they lit up, all four of them. Uh, two were business majors and had to take his class, and the other two had just gotten in because they, they had heard of him and wanted to take his class. And they all leaned in, and, and, and one guy said, hey, you know what? They didn't know what I did. I just, I'm guy off the, literally a guy off the street. They said, you know what? He's a Christian. He's like the best professor on campus, and he's a, he's a Christian. We're, we're trying to figure that out. I said, yeah, I, I, I know that. That's why we were meeting. So we had a great conversation. But the point is that God's kingdom is coming and his will is being done at the University of Virginia because of his faithfulness out of a pure heart and clean hands over the years. And that's what God's calls all of us to do. And it might not all go well as it has for Ken. He's had his challenges, but it's gone well. The next passage says, you know what? There are times when it's not going to go well. But even so, lift up your heads, uh, that the king of glory may come in, the Lord strong and mighty, that he would be glorified. I mean, that, that's the point. Whether God then blesses your efforts or blesses Christian professors' efforts or not, ultimately, it's for the glory of God. So that's our ultimate aim, is to equip Christian professors to have a ministry among their students, their colleagues, those who read their books, and God do with it what, they, what, he, what he will. If he uses it to extend his kingdom. Wonderful. If not, they're faithful. And you're faithful. So at the end of the day, it's about God's glory, not about our glory and what we accomplish. But we do pray that God, God will use Christian professors to have this kind of influence. As you hopefully pray that God would use you to have this influence and his kingdom come in your square feet of creation that he's marked out for you to have a redemptive influence in. That said, thank you for the role you play in equipping Christian professors to do that around the world. Blessings.